0: is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own.
1: Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 133, operating on June 13th, 2022. This is Drew and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Doug. We're two Geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Doug, since you haven't been doing any travel, I had to fill the void. So I'm in Los Angeles right now with one of our AvGeek buddies, Greg from Lexington, Kentucky. Greg is not an airline employee, but he is a big AvGeek. He's an engineer, and uh, he's a fan of GE Engines, where he was a co-op in college.
2: Yeah, Drew. And before I say anything more about Greg, it's usually me who's sitting in that nondescript hotel room, as you call it. And now it's you two who are sitting there with a. I see the door in the background and the
1: right.
2: the cl- weird closet thing.
1: <laughs> right. And we're kind of sleep-deprived because we flew here. Well, we'll tell you all about it. Yeah,
2: yeah, you you guys got up really early. So I'm I'm glad we're doing it now and not 9 o'clock like we had possibly talked about. But back to Greg, he's also a contributor on the show and helped design our logo. He's been on a couple times now, which means he's now a co-host, and he actually has some work that he has to do. But Greg, good news, you're now on the payroll.
0: That's great, but... What do I owe you guys? I, I owe you seventy five dollars. <laughs> 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 yeah. the payroll is negative because you got to help us support.
2: Yeah, you we'll we'll send you our, our total monthly bills, and then we can figure out based on how many times you've been on what you actually owe.
0: Right. Okay. Well, before we regale you and the listeners with our non-rev boondoggle getting out here, (laughs) do you have some news for us? Something involving a Bigfoot sighting?
2: Uh, Possibly. There's a possible Bigfoot sighting. I I have to go investigate. As the listeners know, I've been sitting here for weeks now waiting on my first trip. And Drew and, and Greg and listeners, it finally came. And it was funny how it happened. I was actually speaking at an event for high school students who are about to leave to go to basic training at the Air Force Academy, I was asked to go speak. And one of the topics that I was asked was, how did going to the academy impact where I am in my career today? And I talked about the the importance of networking and how networking is so huge. And high schoolers don't really understand that quite yet. And I wanted to convey to them, create these networks with people early and you never know when, when you might need it later on, whether it's getting a job or finding a place to live, et cetera, create these networks. As it turns out, the person who organized this event is a line check airman at our airline on the 777. And he was, asking, so me, okay. he was asking me where I was at in training and everything. And I told him, well, I've been waiting for my IOE trips. And he said, okay, uh, give me your employee number, give me a little bit of time and I'll let you know. And I got a call from him like two hours after the event was over saying, Hey, I've got you on a trip with me. I just have to, to call and finalize it with the scheduler.
1: <laughs> well, just to catch our listeners up. So Doug is uh, a triple seven trainee or you're, you're qualified on the triple seven, but you haven't actually flown one. So he has to do something called an IOE and you've been waiting. How long Doug?
2: I'll uh, be at just past six weeks when I actually fly my first trip.
1: Yeah, that's ridiculous. So just out of luck, you found this person and we thought, you know, he was just blowing smoke for the first couple hours. There was nothing because it's pretty rigid how these schedules are made. But it is. Sure enough, yeah, it's,
2: it's very rigid. He had to reach out to the the scheduler and, and ask to have me put on this trip. They had to remove the other person who had originally been on the trip. It took about f- 24 hours for it to actually show up in my schedule. And, Drew, you, you know, we talk about how I have been literally sitting by the phone the last five weeks six weeks <laughs> overnight like waking mm-hmm. up in the middle of the night checking to make sure i didn't miss a call the call Answering from the... The car
1: insurance, car <laughs> warranty calls and all the you know, our you st- want to house.
2: stupid our stupid cat knocked marissa's coffee mug over and it spilled everywhere almost on her computers all over the floor and i was on my hands and knees cleaning up this coffee from our stupid cat and I missed the call from the scheduler. And when I was done, I looked at my phone. I was like, are you serious of all the times that I couldn't answer? And then I couldn't get in touch with him. I called and I got a busy signal and I, I called back and the, the wrong airplane picked up. I, I, I was like, wait a minute. I thought I pressed the triple seven number. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll we'll patch you through. Finally got it figured out. I, I leave this weekend. Should I tell the listeners or should we wait?
1: So you leave this week. Well, do you want to wait till next week? Yeah, to talk let, about- let,
2: let's wait till next week because we'll we'll record when I get back. The listeners will be listening to this while I'm on the trip. We'll talk about where I went and how it was and what it was like flying the triple.
1: I do want to make a point that of all of our friends, I was the one who won because I chose your first route and that's your first route. You did. Right?
2: You did. <laughs> I, I had to go back and look and, and luckily there's search functions on group chats. And yes, Drew, Drew actually correctly guessed what this first route was going to be i didn't think it was going to be that
1: what do we say it it kind of uh emulates your kc10 trip so it's almost like i wanted to ease you into this
2: yeah it's so funny because it's the the routing is identical to many kc10 trips that i've done in my career which which is funny and it it'll be nice because i i understand that area and that part of the world and what the flying is like so that'll be that'll be good
1: you don't need to self-cater a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. No,
2: absolutely. Absolutely not. No,
0: (laughs) you'll just have to have chicken orzo.
2: Oh, I already have put my special crew request and my crew meal request in, and it does not include chicken, (laughs) which means I will not be getting the chicken orzo.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You've been getting like these crazy, like Indian vegetarian (laughs) meals and stuff that look really good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're actually quite excellent. (laughs) All right. I want to hear about your guest trip. So you're sitting in Los Angeles. I, to the listeners, I know very little. I I told Drew yesterday as he was leaving that I I wanted to know as little as possible so that I was surprised when we actually talk. You guys are in Los Angeles. Greg mentioned that it was a boondoggle of a trip. I <laughs> just, uh, yeah, looking at looking at some of the messages you guys yeah. sent, it seemed like it was actually pretty straightforward. Uh,
1: just about we had like we had two game plan changes, but I'll Greg, I'll let you tell tell the listeners how you got here and
0: non-revving. And this is Greg's second time non-revving, right? Yeah. Okay. I am kind of between jobs. So I start my new job June the 20th. So I had a little bit of free time. wanted to do a little flying before I start my new job because I'm losing some vacation and won't get to do fun flying trips for a while. So I reached out to Drew and I said, hey, let's do a little trip somewhere. And so we decided to fly out to L.A. Originally, we started out, I was going to go from Lexington to Chicago, then to Dulles in Washington, D.C., and then and I was going to meet up with Drew at Dulles. And we're going to we, the $5 airport Yeah, tour. he was going to give me the nickel ramp <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, at Dulles, <laughs> and then we were going to go to Newark, stay in Newark overnight, fly to LAX the next morning, stay in LAX overnight, then go back to Chicago and then back to Lexington. Of course, Lexington being a small market, the only thing that we have on Drew's airline is regionals. So the seats coming out of Lexington are very limited. There's no main lines on that airline. Start watching the seats and the flight from Lexington to Chicago, the seats were disappearing very quickly. It was very likely I wasn't going to get on. I get up the morning I'm supposed to leave. I have a text message from Drew. He says, do this instead of this. I ended up driving to Louisville, which is about 70 miles from my house, so an hour and a half drive. Got a flight from Louisville direct to Newark and just met up with wait, Drew. Wait, I'm, I'm going to stop you there.
2: Was it direct or was it nonstop? It was nonstop. Did
1: you say, just say direct to then? Just I think direct. I I
2: was yeah, Brazilian. on our... Our, our co-host <laughs> no. on an aviation podcast just said he flew direct to Newark. Minus Sorry, keep keep going, um, Greg.
0: Minus one, Abbie, point <laughs> out. Well, like I gotta,
1: that. well, I have to give the listeners some background. This is a Tuesday. You know, who would think this would be such a struggle to get someplace on a Tuesday, right? From Lexington, we showed 16 seats open, like a week ago. Then the day before it went to six. I'm like, you're still good. It's holding firm at six. But then overnight, it goes to zero. And who knows why? There's not a lot of... It's not like some other airline has a hub in Lexington that canceled flight now. This one's full, but people are booking last minute. Mm-hmm. So it went to zero. So I'm like, all right, you're doing this. You're not even going to try that. You're going to drive to Louisville and then take the nonstop to New York, and I'm going to meet you there. So this dude, by the way, he has never flown on a, on a buddy pass. He has never flown. He has never not flown first. In first class, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So he flies there first. I meet him. I also get first class. So that it turned
0: out really well that yeah. we did that, right? Yeah, it worked out. It worked out really
2: well. Can we explain too, to a lot of our non-U.S. listeners, a lot of people are probably wondering why we always end up in Los Angeles on these non-rev trips. Part of it is because L.A. is great for spotting. The weather is always generally pretty nice there. But a lot of it, too, is because of those transcon routes with the premium cabin. It's not like flying from Milwaukee to St. Louis on... An A three nineteen, you're on a triple seven or a seven eight or a seven six with business class with actual nice product.
1: Fill in whatever I missed, But our plan was this morning to take a seven eight seven ten at eight thirty. Gets you know get some a good night's sleep. Eight thirty, that filled up overnight. Mm-hmm. Like, boom, there were like fourteen seats open and went down to like four. So we're like Greg, we got to go at six twenty in the morning. It's a triple seven two hundred with twenty seats. So it was great. I mean, we got seats together in the bulkhead. You're gonna like use this against me for months. Cool. <laughs> I know what you're about to say. So we had in the bulkhead, no cabin drama, but it was fabulous. The crew was great.
0: It was a great crew, but and, I- they, and that that crew mm-hmm. was doing a turn. Yeah, can you believe that they were flying? They were flying the, that flight out, and then they were going to turn around and fly right back to Newark today. Today, yeah, yes.
2: I, I did that. I actually a lot of my Florida transcons and my cancun transcons the flight attendants did turns
1: yeah so i do want to call greg on something so he's mr ge engines and we flew a plane with pratt and whitney 4000 engines how smooth and quiet was that takeoff it was nice yeah it was great it it has a different sound from the ge engines it has kind of a high-pitched hum
2: Mm
1: -hmm. well you're gonna know all about this very soon on on Sunday <laughs> yeah it's very smooth I, I just feel like the GE engines you can feel a little bit more power mm-hmm. I would say yeah but other than that I couldn't tell the difference and the triple seven when you're landing on a triple seven there's hardly any noise at all it's like there's no engines oh mm-hmm. and what you said about uh we had that whole conversation about the triple seven landing gear
2: mm-hmm.
1: we put our gear down way out like we were still about like I would say three minutes from touchdown yeah. and the landing gear was down and we were like, we looked at each other and it's like, they're using them as air, as, as speed
2: brakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My, my guess is it was, it could have been a timing thing where tower probably told the pilots they needed to slow to slowest practical speed because of other traffic in front of them.
1: Yeah. The flight attendants were working all the way up until the end. And I'm looking at the air show map and it shows four minutes and they're still doing stuff. And I'm like,
0: sit down. Mm.
1: But, you know, they know exactly what they're doing. So they sat down and it was still like, what, three minutes before yeah. The touchdown? Yeah. Yeah, smooth touchdown. We looked at each other. And it was like, it was a very young first officer. I feel like there was, a, the guy was in your class or the class prior. Because mm. it seemed like, seemed like really yeah. new to me.
2: Greg, I'm glad you made it out of Kentucky with options being limited. You did have to drive to the second closest airport, Louisville, or SDF, where you found the seats available. We're seeing a lot of growth at SDF recently. Capacity level at the louisville Muhammad Ali International Airport are approaching near record levels last experienced in 2019. Director of Public Relations Natalie Chaudouin said scheduled capacity was at 95%, which is the airport's best year ever. And it's at 118% of what they flew in 2021. Eight commercial airlines offer nonstop service. Nonstop, Greg, not direct service.
0: Yes, nonstop.
2: Eight commercial airlines offer nonstop service to 35 destinations from Louisville. SDF is home to UPS Worldport, moving millions of tons of products each year, making it the third busiest cargo airport in North America and fifth in the world. New service out of SDF includes American to Boston and Breeze to San Francisco, United upgraded their Denver service to mainline, increasing capacity by 80 seats. Greg, what's going on at SDF, and why do you think Lexington isn't seeing the same growth?
0: I think it probably has to do with the si- the population size of Louisville, because when you look at the Louisville metro area, there's probably, and I, I meant to look the numbers up and I forgot, but I think there's somewhere between You you took just over a million people in that area. Yeah, in the whole metro area. Not Louisville proper, proper, but when you look at, you've got Louisville, you've got the southern part of Indiana Mm -hmm. is in that area, and then you've got some fairly reasonable-sized cities that are not too far outside of Louisville. So you've got a, a fairly large population center there. And I think with UPS, with some of the other corporations that are based there in Louisville. I think we're probably Ford is a huge employer in Louisville. So there's, um, at least two Ford manufacturing plants Mm -hmm. in Louisville. So you've got Ford, you've got UPS, you've got a lot of corporate travel coming out of there too. So I think probably that has some to do with the growth. I certainly wish we would see some of that growth in Lexington. Drew and I were looking on the way out here, United Airlines only offers three flights a day out of Lexington, and all three flights are nonstop to Chicago. American Airlines has, I think we counted 11 11, flights a day from Lexington, all regional, but they're to Charlotte, Philadelphia, Dallas-Fort Worth, Chicago, and Chicago. On American, and then Delta offers. I think we counted ten there to Detroit and okay. Atlanta, and I think there was one to DC. There's a okay. like one flight daily to DC, uh, DCA, out of Lexington. We've got flights, but it's just it's so limited. I wish we had some other airlines. Um, Allegiant serves Lexington with a couple of flights a week, and that's it. Well, that's le- all we. Have. Lexington seems like it would be a perfect fit for
2: an airline like Breeze or Avello to come in and yeah, and yeah, run, some, run some service to New Orleans to Austin to places like that. And to to the the listeners who don't who aren't really familiar with Kentucky or or Lexington, Lexington has the University of Kentucky, so it's a big college town, very big school, which is why there there is service there in the first place. Uh, right. Greg, I, yeah. I would well here's what I'm going to add you're 70 miles from Louisville which we we said has over a million people that the the airports look at that call, uh, and call it catchment they call it the catchment area Louisville airport the airport director and whoever is in charge of getting new service at the airport probably looks at Lexington and says if there are people who live on the north the north side of Lexington who are closer to the Louisville airport they might instead of choosing to fly on a regional airplane and connect at a hub, they're probably going to drive the 70 miles to Louisville and fly nonstop instead. So that, that's one reason why I think Louisville probably, or why Lexington doesn't see a lot of service other than just some, some random regionals to the
0: hubs every day. Yeah. Right. The one thing that I would, that I could argue for Lexington getting some other additional service is where we're located in Kentucky, we're, about 70 miles east of Louisville, and we're about 80 miles south of Cincinnati. Okay. But you've got the whole eastern part of the state, which is typically Appalachian is what... Pretty rural. rural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty rural. The closest airport for them is going to be Lexington. Mm. You've got those people now that are going to have to drive. If they want to get to an airport...
2: Lexington than- is it
0: they're going to have to drive three or four hours just to get to an airport if they don't come to Lexington. Sure. Yeah, that's an argument for having some additional service in Lexington. But I also, I mean, I see, I, I understand what you're saying about the, the catchment. And again, like I said, we're only 80 miles south of Cincinnati. You're in a small city and it has
1: competition from two larger cities. That's so right. not a huge population you know, like in the DC area or in San Francisco, but what's on your side, right? Is that the flights are full and the fares are extremely high, which probably has some of these low cost carriers thinking, wait a minute, this might be a niche, a, a niche market. Prime, we- a prime place to enter. Yeah. 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 But you talked about Cincinnati, <laughs> which most people don't know that Cincinnati's CVG airport is actually in Kentucky. Let's stay with our Kentucky theme for the first news story. Did you guys know that Delta is launching service from Kentucky to Paris? The side, <laughs> right? Is, uh, so it it, is, true. it, yes, it is
2: true. Yes, it is.
1: It's from Cincinnati, but the airport is geographically in Kentucky, and it is even—I mean, you told me this. It is even known as Cincinnati North Kentucky Airport. Nonstop flights to France have been discontinued from CVG since the start of the pandemic in April 2020. Delta did announce plans to resume nonstop service on several dates in 2021. They kept pulling back because uh, due to COVID surges, right? It was up and down for the last couple of years. And there was a weak demand for corporate travel because everyone was working from home. Delta recently confirmed to airport officials that a permanent restoration of the service will start with three flights a week on August 2nd. Just a little bit about Cincinnati. Like, I I didn't know that there were so many businesses in these areas. Would you consider that the Ohio Valley or... Yeah, thereabouts. I think it's considered Ohio Valley. Yeah, so there are more than 450 international businesses around the Cincinnati area, including one of your favorite, Paris brand-based Safran and headquarters for companies like GE Aviation and Procter & Gamble. Fun fact, the CFM56 engines that are everywhere on 737s, they're built by a combination um, a cooperation between Safran and General Electric. Yeah, it's Electric. a joint
0: venture between Safran and GE.
1: right. Uh, Delta is operating a 767-300 on the route, which once again starts August 2nd. So guys, it looks like Delta is keeping its foothold in Cincinnati, where they used to have a secondary hub at one point. Will the rise in traffic see these smaller hubs rise as well? Other examples of cities that used to be secondary hubs, United's hub at Cleveland used to be continental, and Americans' secondary hub very close to Charlotte, but they used to have a hub in Raleigh-Durham also.
2: True, but when they had when they when they had the Raleigh hub, they didn't have Charlotte yet because that was still U.S. Airways.
0: Got it. Okay. Right. Well, and we in doing our research about Cincinnati, we found out some fascinating facts about Cincinnati and and Delta's relationship with uh, with CVG. Delta had a hub there uh, starting in the mid '80s. They reached their peak in uh, 2005. During the decade that they, that Delta ramped up their mainline operation there, they also had a wholly owned, or they ended up buying into an airline called Comair, mm-hmm. which was a regional. Eventually, Delta wholly owned Comair. Uh, they had around 300,000 to 500,000 yearly aircraft movements at CVG. At its peak in 2005, they were handling over 600 flights a day. Wow. And this this was this was something that we were really that, shocked by that we were shocked by Cincinnati Airport was the fourth largest hub in the world for a single airline based on departures ranking only behind Atlanta Chicago O'Hare and Dallas Fort Worth hmm. but that's by flight numbers strictly by flights departing but they from from Cincinnati Delta served. Anything from a 64-mile trip to Dayton, Ohio, Mm -hmm. which you could probably drive that faster than getting to the airport, taxiing out, flying to Dayton, taxiing to the gate, Dayton, and and getting back there. But they also flew nonstop to Honolulu, Hmm. Anchorage, Amsterdam, Brussels, Frankfurt, London, Manchester, Munich, Paris, Rome and Zurich mm-hmm. all yeah. nonstop stop flights from Cincinnati from Kentucky um, yeah have either of you flown through Cincinnati
2: I drew I was about uh, I, Delta Delta. well yeah Gre- Greg you you said that you flew
0: once from Lexington to Cincinnati right It was very common back when Delta had their hub there to fly from Lexington to Cincinnati and then you would make your connection onto wherever you were going. We would t- you would typically in, in reality, you spent more time taxiing than you did in the <laughs> air. Yeah. flight from Lexington to Cincinnati, but it was a necessary evil to get to the point to make your connection to your final destination. Drew,
2: to answer your question, when I lived in Philadelphia, I would try and fly through Cincy every single trip. If I could, really? it was still a hub at that point. It was a, a smaller hub, I maybe 200 departures a day or less but I would always try and fly through Cincy for a couple of reasons. There were always seats open in first class. I almost always got upgraded on my flights to, from, out of, through Cincy. Delta built a brand, or helped build a brand new terminal in the early 2000s, which is a very, like, Cincinnati Airport is actually a very nice airport. They have an enormous Delta Sky Club there. And by that point, when it was starting to get de-hubbed, There were never a lot of passengers. The club, there there was a time Marissa and I were in there and we were the only two people in this enormous Sky Club and we got upgraded on both the flights. Yeah, I would would try and fly through Cincy as much as I could. It was always a great experience. I want to go back to this flight that we talked about, though. What is really interesting to me is that this flight doesn't launch until August 2nd. Mm -hmm. That is towards the end of the peak summer travel season. So what does that tell you guys?
1: Oh, they're going to continue it. it. It might be for partially for the business market, that, not just for the market. That's
2: it. Because if they were trying to get the leisure market, they would be flying that flight already. Not to say yeah. that some leisure traffic won't fly in this flight. And I, I remember hearing at one point pre-COVID, I, I don't know if it was Ed Bastian or Richard Anderson, the previous Delta CEO, someone said that the Cincinnati to Paris flight could go out and be profitable even if there was not a seat sold in the back. Because Procter & Gamble, I guess, had this huge contract for all the Delta One, the business class seats. They didn't even need to have people really sitting in economy. And not only that, but the belly cargo. They said that the belly cargo out of Cincy to Europe pays for the flight.
0: Well, and and that's the other thing. Procter & Gamble, their U.S. headquarters is in Cincinnati. Their European headquarters is in Geneva, Switzerland. Mm -hmm. By restarting this paris flight now they only their their executives only have to make one stop to get to their headquarters in geneva they don't have to go through jfk or newark or something whereas previously they were having to go through jfk and then maybe another stop in europe and then to get to geneva Mm -hmm. so now they're going to be able to go one stop and then they're to their to their headquarters in geneva yeah so i think that that like you said, that right there alone will probably make that flight profitable. This
2: is actually a really great topic that we could possibly cover as a main topic later on. Drew is how companies have sway over what routes airlines fly. I, I guarantee that Procter and Gamble has been a Delta's ear for the last year plus, saying, "Can you bring the flight back?" I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of a financial incentive that Procter and Gamble gave Delta, saying. If you bring the flight back, we'll give you X millions of dollars, something like that. Behind the scenes, there's a lot of this going on. Drew, in fact, when when we had Jen on last year sometime who works in a, an airport in Ohio, she was telling us, talking to us about how these businesses approach the airport, asking for service, asking for the mm-hmm. airport to reach out to the airlines. And, and that's part of what she does. There's a big business in businesses speaking with the airports, speaking with the airlines, trying to get new routes like this or routes relaunched.
1: Our airline in Washington, DC has been asked to fly to certain cities by specific companies. Yeah. Have we started some of those? Yes, but not all of them because just that company wouldn't make that route viable. Yeah. We always consider, consider it, especially if you, if you can guarantee that a proportion of your seats will be filled by one company. Then that gives you incentive to, you know, to try and make it work. Right. Mm -hmm.
2: All right. Let's go from secondary airports to secondary or smaller airlines for our next story. And Drew and the listeners, I promise this will be fast. We will not dwell (laughs) on this discussion because I know it's starting.
1: when I heard that, I'm like, I am not talking about that again, but but it is important.
2: It is starting to get old, and I don't think that you've added the latest bullet. I, I haven't even had time to send it to you guys today, so I'll read the bullets, and then I'll I'll add what I read in the Wall Street Journal just a little while ago. We're talking about the JetBlue spirit frontier drama that continues with JetBlue upping their offer to buy spirit and fend off frontier. I feel like this should be a, a reality show on the E! Network or... Right, weekly, you know, yeah, 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 exactly.
1: Kind
2: of JetBlue this week said that it would pay Spirit a $350 million breakup fee if a merger between the two carriers failed to win regulatory approval. Some of that would be cash payments to stockholders. The revised proposal comes after Frontier said last week that it would offer $250 million payout if its proposed deal with Spirit wasn't approved. Analysts, and you and I, Drew, believe the merger between I don't know
1: if we're changing. I don't know if we're going in different directions. You know, let cause...
2: me, let me, let me come back to that. The analysts believe that a merger between Spirit and Frontier could have a better chance of winning approval because the Justice Department could see the combination of the two ultra low-cost carriers as a stronger challenge to the four larger U.S. airlines. JetBlue stresses that its proposal is better for Spirit shareholders because it is offering cash for their stock. Frontier is offering shareholders a combination of cash and stock. The Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, which represents the flight attendants at Frontier and Spirit, supports the merger between the two airlines. JetBlue's Flight Attendants Union, however, the Transport Workers Union, is opposed to it. The new airline, whether it's JetBlue, Spirit, or Frontier and Spirit, will be the fifth largest airline in the U.S. Now, the bullet that I read today said Mm -hmm. that Spirit, the stockholders were supposed to vote tomorrow tomorrow the Spirit stockholders were supposed to vote tomorrow on this merger. They've moved it to June 30th so that the board can actually take time to review JetBlue's offer, which means I, uh, Spirit, I, mm-hmm. I wonder if now that they see this additional cash that JetBlue mm-hmm. will pay if there is a breakup fee, I'm yeah. wondering if now Spirit is saying, wait a minute, let's actually take a look.
1: And my question is, where is JetBlue getting all this unlimited amounts of cash right during a downturn we're still coming out of a downturn they have issues with their pilots and getting their operation on track so I'm wondering how they have all this cash you know this is a work trip because Greg and I actually did some research and the best research research is on the hotel employee shuttle to the airport so we spoke to both crews
0: yeah and what did what was
1: your feeling from talking to the JetBlue and Spirit crews
0: neither one of them really seemed to care one way or the other we talked to the JetBlue crew last night, yeah, and they were like, eh, yeah. Whatever. I, can't believe how ap- they, I, I wouldn't apathetic. say apathetic. They were agnostic, or they were like... If they, it happens, it happens. Right. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Well,
2: sp- they speaking of agnostic, didn't we read that a couple weeks ago? I think it was the Spirit, the pilots, the Spirit right? pilots were agnostic, and they said they don't really care which airline it ends up being.
0: Right, and we talked to a couple of Spirit crew members this morning on the way to the airport. They're like, yeah, whatever happens, happens. We're we're not gonna get all torn up about it one way or the other. That's so
2: funny because at our airline, Drew, that would not be the case. Oh, Everyone no. would be so spun oh, up one God. way or the other.
1: Yeah, because we work for a legacy carrier, and people have a lot invested in our carrier and other legacy carriers. Not so much JetBlue, but definitely Spirit. She seemed like a very new, fresh employee. They're more open-minded, you know. They're not entrenched, or they're not—I don't want to say entrenched. They're not as invested, you know, as other people in uh, bigger airlines.
2: Were they pilots or were they flight attendants?
1: Oh, they're all flight attendants. We didn't attend- see any
2: pilots. Okay, because I was going to say the pilots probably are apathetic because they probably have an offer from one of the big four already, and they're just waiting to go to their class date. So they're like, "Yeah, I don't—I don't really care.
0: Yeah, when we can get out, we will."
2: Greg, here's my question for you, because you haven't been on since this whole debacle started. Where do you see it going? What do you think is going to end up happening?
0: I'm not sure how I feel about this, because Spirit and Frontier merging could create a pretty powerful ultra low cost carrier here in the United States, Mm -hmm. which we don't really I mean, we've got ULCCs here, but none of them are really that strong, I don't feel like you see a lot of spirit and you see a lot of frontier when you're at the airports, but I don't know that they're, we don't really have a true
2: that, Ryanair.
0: Yeah. Or they're not that air Asia. X. A, yeah. Yeah. A player. Whereas if they merge, I think they could be a legitimate power player in the U S airline. Well, they market, would, they would be the fifth largest. Yeah. They'd be mm-hmm. the fifth largest airline. I think I lean more toward being in favor of the spirit frontier merger than JetBlue and Spirit because I'm not sure how this Spirit-JetBlue merger would really work because I just feel like JetBlue would eliminate an ultra-low-cost carrier. I don't think JetBlue wants to diminish their product Mm-mm. by stepping down to the level of an ultra-low-cost carrier. I think all that this is really good for for JetBlue is it gets them airplanes. I pilots. And pilots. Yeah, yeah. that's that's Be the sure. only reason they're doing this. I think that's really the only reason that JetBlue is in this. They want the planes and the pilots. Mm-hmm. And I think you, if you do that, you're just going to eliminate an ultra low cost carrier, and you're going to leave Frontier kind of found by the founder yeah. trying to fill the fill the void that was created by Spirit going away.
2: All right, guys, because of the technical difficulties that we just encountered during recording, this next part of the episode was recorded on different devices, so the sound quality might be a little bit different. We apologize about that in advance.
0: We'll see what happens, but a JetBlue Spirit tie-up would help improve the passenger experience if they went with the JetBlue model. Speaking of passenger experience, let's look at a concept to improve narrow-body cabins with this article from CNN Travel. What if airplanes were wider? Surprisingly, today's airline seat sizing goes all the way back to 1954 when Boeing flew the first prototype, which would later become the 707. The Boeing 727 used the same fuselage cross-section as does today's 737. The 707 seats were arranged six in each row in tourist or coach, as economy used to be called. They were fine for 1954, but that was 70 years ago.
2: Yeah, that may have been fine for 1954, but we're a little bit bigger now and we're still sitting six across on the 737. There's no surprise the planes seem more cramped today. The 737s have a seat width of only 16.5 inches, but even the slightly wider A320s with an 18-inch width can be a tight fit. Enter lift aero design, an aviation interior consultancy with a concept called Paradigm. Paradigm's concept calls for a single-aisle aircraft, which is considerably wider than the 737 or A320. Yeah, it's interesting they
1: have this concept, but uh, they're not actually making the... They're like, not manufacturing the seats, so... Yeah. But anyway, um, it's, it's a great idea. So Doug and Greg, every row would have seats 20 inches wide with two armrests between sets of seats instead of one. So there's no more awkward armrest negotiation. Does the middle person get it? Does the aisle person get it? When the Boeing 777 first started flying in the 1990s, the plane you'll be flying, Doug, almost all mainline airlines put nine seats in each row. Today, almost all of them, I think 100% of them, to be honest, have 10 in a row. So they added another seat. When Boeing designed the 787 Dreamliner in the 2000s, it advertised a comfortable 8 abreast seating standard and a nine-abreast option for low-cost carriers. But in reality, only Japan Airlines, and I also believe ANA, took that eight-abreast seating. So basically, all the majors are doing nine-across now, which was envisioned for the low-cost carriers. From an airline accountant's point of view, these are the spreadsheet guys, which Doug is kind of on the cusp of being a spreadsheet guy and an airline guy. From an accountant's point of view, is that any comfort qualms are settled by cheaper ticket prices and that very few passengers choose their flight on anything other than price and schedule.
0: The concept would also allow airlines to modify these seats to offer economy, premium economy, and a lie flat option. Lift managing director Daniel Barron said, space in long haul economy class has been shrinking as more space is allocated to premium classes for increasingly luxurious seats. And throughout the world, humans are getting larger in every direction. The seat width standards of yesterday may no longer be sufficient to keep frequent long-haul flying attractive, especially with ultra-long-haul flights now stretching 16 to 20 hours. Paradigm envisions a cabin with no curtains or dividers. The concept of traditional classes is replaced by products. The airline could sell any row as economy, premium economy, and or a live flat product. The customer purchases three seats and gets a wide sleeping surface, which could be combined with premium food, IFE and amenities and sold as premium economy flat, a brand new product category. That might not be for the famous names with their firmly established brands such as Delta One, United Polaris, British Airways Club World, and so on.
2: I have a lot of issues with this, yes. (laughs) Okay, this is the tail wagging the dog. Normally, Airbus and Boeing create an airplane, and then they figure out what the interior is going to be, and companies line up to provide that interior. This seems like it's an airplane interior designer who is saying, we have these awesome 20-inch wide seats with multiple armrests and all these different products. It's up to Airbus and Boeing to actually make the airplane that's wide enough to fit this cabin.
1: Yeah, That's my first problem. No, you're, I mean, they're just throwing this out out there, but there's probably a billion dollars in research that has to be put into making a plane wider.
0: They're just designing wider seats. So it is the cart yes. before the horse. You and I have discussed this extensively, and we have the solution. We have determined, or well, we think that, yes, making an airplane slightly wider, but doing a 2-2-2 two, two, two configuration with two aisles. So basically you're taking a 737 fuselage, adding an extra enough width for an extra aisle, and then setting the seats up in a 222 configuration. You still have six seats across, but now you've got two aisles. Every seat is either a window seat or an aisle seat. Now you don't have that middle seat that somebody has to crawl over to go to the bathroom or fight for armrests. So I did a little, I did a little digging real quick on the flight out here. In the FAA's requirements, any aircraft over 20 passengers, the minimum aisle width is 20 inches. Let's say that they add 24 inches to the width of the plane for an extra aisle. So you're adding two feet to the width. So I looked up the numbers on a 737, and I did all the calculations and making some probably fairly serious assumptions by adding 24 inches to the diameter of the fuselage, you're basically adding, you're creating a 16% increase in the surface area of the fuselage. But with today's technologies, if you took the technologies that you're using on the 787, transferred them over to a narrow body, you could probably add that extra surface area, the larger fuselage, and still be at a weight comparative to the existing 737 or maybe even less. You've got more technologically advanced engines that are more efficient already. You can make the plane at least as heavy or probably maybe even a little less. And now you've got a two aisle, narrow plus body plane that improves efficiency in loading, unloading, passenger comfort. If you can reach the weight level of a 737
1: 900 or an A321 XLR, most of your work is done. The other thing that we don't talk about is its aer- aerodynamics is going to make the aircraft more efficient New I, can, I,
2: can I step in there I, I disagree with that that this is this is one thing I what drew when you mentioned in a text that the composite materials of 787 could possibly make this viable I actually started to think because listeners know I've I've been for a 222 airplane but I've said it's not going to be economically viable and then you mentioned the composite materials would lower the weight and I'm like oh yeah that's actually a good point something that we're not factoring in here though is the aerodynamics the induced drag that you get when an airplane gets bigger. That's more friction. That's more surface area. That's more thrust is going to have to be overcome. And that is less efficiency when, when you actually increase the surface area on the outside. That's where you lose some of those efficiencies.
1: Yeah, but you're creating a new airplane. It's 222, but it is the same size, basically. I mean, it's a 20, it's a 20 inch, wider it's a 20 inches extra width but you're going to there's so many things that will offset that one of the big things when do airplanes make money when they're flying they don't make money when they're sitting on the ground this aircraft you would be able to deplane it at least five minutes faster with two aisles you'd be able to board we think at least 10 minutes faster so if you're given 40 minutes to board a 737 900 with two aisles how much faster could you board Let's say you could save 10 minutes. So that's about 15, let's say 15 to 20 minutes. If you could add 20 minutes and a plane does, for example, does four turns from San Francisco to Los Angeles and that gives you the opportunity to add another turn, that's gonna more than make up the cost of that extra weight. The other thing is if Boeing or Airbus comes up with this, they will have a 737 beater or they'll have an A321 XLR beater that they can showcase. The example that we thought about was a 747. Like on paper, it didn't make sense. It came out; mm-hmm. all the major airlines of the world had to have it because they wanted that customer—you know—they wanted that customer experience to be as good as Pan Am or as good as TWA, Air India, Japan Airlines. They all had to have it. So you could see the major carriers buying this to be competitive.
2: True, I, I I get what you're saying with that. That if you add another segment in the day, but I I'm just wondering about that induced and in the parasitic drag from an actual aerodynamic standpoint. If it really would be able to with the composite materials, if if adding an extra two feet to the hull would decrease the chasm, the cost per available mile, and something else with the turns too is. Southwest is famous for their really quick turns, but they still get delayed all the time. Why? Because they're unloading and loading bags, because crews come in and out. Like Mm -hmm. there's only, I I get what you're saying about the speed of the planing and deplaning, but there's still a lot going on under the belly of the airplane. There's only so much time that you can cut out to be able to turn an airplane quickly. Whatever you gain by five minute quicker deplaning, 10 minute faster planing process, You still have the crews coming in. You still have to fuel the airplane. You still have to take the luggage off. I I don't know if you really could even get 15 minutes out of that, like a 30 minute turn as opposed to a 40 minute turn or whatever it is now. That still is, in in my opinion, cutting it very tight. To the point where you wouldn't get a lot of efficiency by going down another five or ten minutes, that it would actually be a a true benefit for you.
1: The the thing that takes the longest on these turns, from real world experience, it's not the baggage unloading and loading; it's the passenger unloading and loading. So usually the usually the ramp is done, and they're waiting for the gate check bags. They're waiting for customer service to finish boarding. So that is what is holding everyone back. We should do some studies. So you're saying the surface area would increase by 16%. Mm-hmm. So let's say the weight also increases by 16%. Doug and Greg, whenever a new aircraft comes out, what's the average fuel savings? It's about 20%. The 787 True, is about but,
2: 20%. But just because the weight and the surface area only increased by 16%, that's not a direct comparison to what your cost savings are going to be. Yes, it is. No, just because an airplane is 16% lighter doesn't mean it's going to be 16% more
1: efficient. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying that will help offset. So it might bring it down to the same weight as the original plane. The 777 is 20% more efficient than the what it replaced. Let's say the DC-10 or the L-1011. You have this new plane that's going to be more efficient, but it's going to bring it down to the same, about the same weight as an A321. But you'll have this added ion. We have to think out of the box. So all of us we are do. still thinking, yeah. oh, body, let's, let's keep extending the 737. Let's keep extending the twenty one. What is going to be a paradigm shift? Not to you know promote this company, <laughs> but what would be a paradigm shift from what we have now? We need to have a huge leap. like We went from the 707 to the 747. There's been nothing like that for 50 years. So let's yeah. try something new. I have one more real-world example where an airline actually went this direction, Doug and Greg. And it's an airline that's known for customer service, passenger experience, and huge profits, before COVID anyway. Singapore Airlines. Singapore Airlines got the 757 for their regional routes. They decided against that, gave them all back or sold them, and they went with the A310 for those missions, which is a wide-body plane which with a much better wide-body product. And that's what they chose over the 757. So that's a real-world example of an airline that
0: wasn't a loss-making airline. Personally, I just think this is, we've gone for 50 years now with two classes of aircraft. You've got wide bodies, you've got narrow bodies. I think there needs to be something in the middle, which is that Mm -hmm. middle market aircraft that Boeing keeps talking about. I think if they can introduce that, I, I think they could have a game changer there. Because I suppose you could potentially set that aircraft up as a two aisle or you could set it up as a single aisle. For the listeners,
1: we'd be interested to know what your thoughts are on this. Do we go with a better, a bigger airplane with better passenger experience and possibly faster boarding times, giving the airlines more turns and offsetting it that way? And also, they're going to be offset with people wanting to fly that airline that has that product. So that will also offset the cost of it if your load factors are better because you're offering a better product with no middle seats. So there's a lot of advantage. And yes, we are going to have to take a risk. I think the bean counters, of which Doug is more of a bean counter than I am, I think sometimes airlines need to take a risk, like on the 747, like on the 787, to provide a better product. And each time that they've done this, correct me if I'm wrong, they have had a lot of success. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Boeing basically risked the company on the 747. And we look at what a huge success that aircraft was.
2: My biggest worry with this new, the 20 inch pitch seats that they're pitching with the two armrest is, as you mentioned, Drew, the triple seven went from nine abreast to 10 abreast. give, give an airplane a, or give an airline an inch and they're going to take a mile. They're, they're going to get this airplane that could be 20 inch, 20 inch wide seats. All of a sudden they're going to say, Ooh, we can put, eight abreast in this with the standard 16.5 inch
1: seat the 737 has 16.5 inch seats the a320 was a newer newer generation or a newer newer technology or more modern aircraft airbus did improve the passenger experience by making the seats 20 inches i'm sorry not 20 18 inches wide and a wider cabin and a wider aisle so they did factor yeah. that in to offer a better product and they're they're doing just fine with the a320
2: I think that if you don't want airlines to shove extra seats in, then you're going to have to figure out how to work with those FAA minimums and figure out a seat width, safety wise, does not a- allow an additional seat to be well, put in. I am
1: surprised that Greg was able to find federal regulation on the aisle width. Maybe we need federal regulation on seat width. Th- that has been a topic of conversation, you know, to write to your congressman <laughs> to ask for a that. Amount. Yeah,
2: that and seat <laughs> pitch. Yeah. yeah.
1: This is interesting, guys, because we don't—the three of us—don't hundred percent agree on this. I think I'm starting to—I think I have swayed Greg towards the two-two-two. I've been a fan. I've been—I've been, a, been, a, fan? I've been in faith
0: in, a fan of the two-two-two
1: all along. I think it's a great—I think it's a great idea. Greg, this is an engineer, by the way. I'm just saying. <laughs> so it, it might actually work. Um, we're going to bring—we have to promote this on the podcast so the the companies oh, actually want, to, or, to they listen they to it, start us. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, let's wrap this up. We, we, we might even put a poll for the listeners or just, just send us your comments on whether you think this would be successful, a plane that's a little bit wider and has better passenger comfort for the replacement for the 737.
2: I, I don't want to sound like a 222 hater. I would love it. I think that it would be an awesome idea. But the, as you said, Drew, the bean counter in me isn't quite sure that that's what airlines would go for. All right, moving on. We put a poll out this week asking listeners about what historic airline they want us to do a historical deep dive on. Unfortunately, we've gone a little bit long this week. So as we've done in the past several episodes, we're going to push this to next week. So all the listeners who submitted information on the poll, thank you very much. We'll get to that topic next week. In two minutes or less, guys, how are you getting home tomorrow?
0: Right now, the plan is we are going to Chicago in the morning, and then I will get a flight back to Louisville from Chicago. Drew will go back to um, either DCA or IAD from Chicago. What we're watching very closely is the seats. But as we talked about earlier, the airline just added mainline service to from Denver to uh, Louisville. So I now have an extra option of how to get sure. home. If if I can't get to Chicago, I can always go to Denver and then on to Louisville from there. So Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You're between jobs, so Greg is going to be starting a
1: new job, was it next week or in a couple weeks? Yeah,
0: June the 20th.
1: So there's nothing pressing for him to be home. I took an extra day off, which I always do if loads are full. I have a cushion day, so I'm not stressed out trying to get home. I don't think either of us will worry. I mean, worst case scenario, we're going to be in the club a little bit longer, waiting for the next yeah. department. So we're going to be fine.
2: It, it'll it'll actually be a, a fun non-drive day where you you don't have anything. You actually have to get home to. Yeah,
1: right. it really
2: will be fun. Well, I look forward to hearing how you guys get home, and I'm sure you'll send a lot of pictures. Greg, thanks again for joining us. Your contributions to the show are always appreciated, and thanks for being a great friend.
1: Greg, thanks for co-hosting, and let's create more podcast material tomorrow. I have this feeling that we're going to get more material for for a future podcast. <laughs> you know, as we find our way home. To our listeners, this is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel.
2: Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough.
0: This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. Okay, so
1: we have some inside intel for you because oh hold on the battery's running low hold on but i gotta I can charge okay so they're more open-minded you know they're not entrenched or they're not i don't want to say entrenched they're not they're not as invested
0: um hold on i just want to make sure this continues charging this was what was plugged into your laptop before you oh sorry. so i don't know if you got the right thing plugged in. oh probably not hold on
2: It's always something when one of us is on the road.
1: Yeah, hold we'll, on. We'll, we'll put it in something that's more reliable.
2: It's still beeping. Yeah.
1: All right, this is going to
2: work. Do you have to call the desk to ask how the power outlets work? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, how do I work my com- My own computer? <laughs> All
0: right. <clears throat> All right, where, where are we? Okay. Uh, oh, the cruise. Yeah. I'm not sure how, how I feel about... Because you you've got to you've got
2: to think that. Hey, hold, hold on, sorry, Drew. While while you're doing that, it's making a lot of noise, so I'm not going to be able to use oh, anything sorry. that Greg is saying. No, that's fine.